Good morning, everybody. It is great to be with you in the house of the Lord this morning. And I want to say happy Father's Day to all our fathers out there. Uh, this is the most peaceful Father's Day I've ever had because three days ago, Thursday, my wife and I drove all three of our kids up to Michigan. We drove Thursday and Friday up to Michigan so we can drop them off at their grandparents' house and that we can go to uh, engage camp tomorrow unhindered. So this is the most peaceful Father's Day I've ever had. And for all of you that have children under five that are with you this morning, may God bless you and all that you do. This morning we are starting a new series and I'm kicking off, and this morning, this, this message is going to be mostly introductory in nature. And I want to start with this question. What do you think is the difference between those who are really fulfilled in life? And by really fulfilled, I mean they have great and meaningful relationships. They have strong marriages. They are generous toward the people around them. They have meaningful ministries. What is the difference between those that are very fulfilled in life and the rest of the world? And by that, I mean those who are struggling relationally, either with their marriage or with their kids, those who are struggling with money, they want to be generous, but they find themselves time and time again just burdened and overwhelmed by debt. Those who want more in life, what is the difference between those who are really fulfilled in life and the rest of the world? Well, we know what it's not. It's not their intelligence. It's not their talent. It's not their wealth. And it's not their appearance. Because we've all met smart people who are miserable. We've all met talented people who are dissatisfied. We've all met wealthy people who are always wanting more. And we've all met attractive people that can't seem to hold on to a relationship. So what's really the difference? If, it, if we were to boil this down, it really comes down to our decisions, the decisions we make. The decisions we make are so incredibly important, not just to ourselves, but to the people around us and the communities around us. We're often just one decision away, one great decision away from changing our lives, whether that is one call, whether that is one job interview, whether that is one job application, whether that is one investment, one conversation, just like we're often one decision away, one good decision away from changing our lives, we're also one poor decision away from completely wrecking our lives. The quality of our decisions determines the quality of our lives, and the decisions that we make end up making us. I want to I want to use just one illustration this morning from the book of uh 1 Kings. We have this we have this character Solomon. We've all who's heard of Solomon? We 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 know who Solomon was. If we look at Solomon, he is noted as the wisest person who ever lived. 
And Solomon is going through his kingdom, and during his reign, there are these radical changes happening in the kingdom of Israel. The, the, the temple is built, they're expanded, there's a lot of peace, there's gold, there's wealth, there is all this financial success for Israel and all this unity for Israel. Well, Solomon eventually passed away, and he had a son, and his son's name was Rehoboam. He was the successor to the throne of Solomon. Now, Rehoboam had big shoes to fill. He's following the wisest king <laughs> that ever lived. And close to the beginning of his reign, the nation of Israel comes up to, to Rehoboam. And they say, Rehoboam, we have a question for you. During your father Solomon's reign, he made us work really hard. Just look at all the buildings around you. Look at all the infrastructure. We worked night and day. We sweated. We bled for your father Solomon. Now, Rehoboam, we have a question. Could you please, please lighten our workload? During your time, Rehoboam, can we work a little bit less? And we get into... 1 Kings 12, 6, and says the king Rehoboam took counsel with the old men who had stood before Solomon, his father, while he was yet alive, saying, how do you advise me to answer the people? That's a, that's a pretty good decision. The people who were the counselors to the, the wisest person that ever lived. Let's talk to these people. How do you think I should answer these the, the nation of Israel, what kind of decision should I make? And they said to him, if you will be a servant to this people today and serve them and speak good words to them when you answer them, they will be your servants forever. But he abandoned the counsel that the old men gave him and took counsel with the young men, the youth group kids who had grown up with him and stood before him. And he said to them, what do you advise that we answer the people who have said to me, lighten the yoke that your father put on us? And the young men who had grown up with him said to him, this is how you should, this, your, your father made our yoke heavy, but you lighten us out. This is what you should say to them. My little finger is thicker than my father's waist. You know, I think if you say that, this is really what you're looking for, more so. And now, whereas my father laid on a heavy yoke for you, I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you with scorpions. So Rehoboam said this to them, and they all lived happily ever after. No, not really. So Rehoboam brings this message of the younger generation to the people, and we can imagine that this did not go well. And it was at this point in history that the nation of Israel split in two because of the decision that Rehoboam had made. There was now the northern kingdom of Israel with their own king and the southern kingdom of Judah. Because Rehoboam had the signs in front of him, he had the wisdom in front of him, he had the choice to make, he made the wrong decision, and it completely affected his life and the life of the nation and the lives of those around him. Now, I'm sure Rehoboam had great intentions. I'm sure that what he was hoping to say would have been a great unifying experience for the people. And the same thing comes for us. We have great intentions. We're just not great with our decisions. 
We want to eat healthy, but we end up eating poorly. We want to grow in our finances, but we leverage ourselves with credit card debt. We want to be good parents, but we blow up on our kids. We want to be good spouses, but often we end up giving our spouse the leftovers. So why is it that we have the desire, but we don't have the execution? So I, I, I've been... I've been wrestling on whether I was going to share this next personal life story or not, but I'm going to teen camp tomorrow. And there's no guarantee that you come back alive from teen camp. And this is not a story I wanted to take with me to my grave. Parents, if this is your first time sending your students to teen camp, everything I just said was a joke. Please understand. So here's a recent story of a time I just did not make a great quality decision. It was June 3rd, 2022. About 5.15 p.m., my wife and I and the kids, we haul ourselves into our van, the Stormtrooper. It's big, white Dodge Grand Caravan. I called it the Stormtrooper. And we take the Stormtrooper over to the Red Cliffs home. We're going to their home so that we can have dinner with them. We can introduce Knox to this family. Because Knox, our youngest one-year-old, is going to be staying at the Red Cliffs for about a week. Why? Well, we were heading out to Guatemala that following Monday. So we went over. We introduced our kids to them. We saw their uh, beautiful home. We had a great time. Now, by the time we were done with that dinner... It was pouring cats and dogs outside. Who remembers that? The great storm of June 3rd, 2022. So it is, it is raining so hard. Like I, we're taking, we're getting the kids to the stormtrooper in with this umbrella and I'm soaked. You know, it's raining so hard. It just, it gets all around you. So we get in the van. We start driving down the street. I have to turn around because there's a vehicle in front of us that all of a sudden turned amphibious. You know, where you see the water is over the headlights and you're like, I don't know if that's a great decision. So I turned around. I went back to the interstate, got back to our home. We parked under this this carport and at that and it was so dry, so beautiful. I run the kids up the stairs one at a time. We get to bed. We all fall asleep. Great evening. June 4th, 2022, 9 a.m., babysitter shows up. Elliot Dement shows up at our house. We have her booked for five hours so that during those five hours, I can spend several preparing this message and several preparing for Guatemala. She shows up, um, goes into our, our apartment. We walk out of our apartment, and my van was not there. It was completely gone. The first clue I had that something was awry was every moment in my life up to that point where I parked my vehicle, it was always there the next time I came to it. This was a new thing. I've never had a vehicle that's just gone away. What in the world? The second clue I had was on a 911 call I made about five seconds later. And I said, hey... Well, well, here, first, the context. 911 and I, we get along very well. So, this is true. I may, I, I honestly make probably several calls to 911 every year. I love rules. I hate it when I see people breaking rules. I, it, it gets under my skin. If I'm on Randall Mill Road and I'm going 45, which is past the speed limit, 
and someone passes me going 60, I am going to call 911. This is just the way it works in my house, okay? And so I have a great working relationship with them. So I call 911, I say, hey, Wanda, how are you doing today? That'd be great, but that's not how it works. So they said, hey, I said, where's my van? They said, give me your VIN. I gave them my VIN. And I said, my, I think my van's been stolen. They said, no, your van has been impounded. Where's my people at that? Have, I'm just kidding. We're not, we don't want to have that honest conversation right now. Like, what are you talking about? She tells me where it's at. And I'm furious at our apartment complex What we do when we reserve a spot is you take this big old pole with reserved parking and you plant that in front of your, in front of your territory and you know you can't park there. And there wasn't a sign here. I was so upset. So my, my wife and I, my raging wife and I, we, we get in the car and we drive to the local car penitentiary. And at the car, it is a penitentiary, y'all. The, the, there is so much barbed wire around that place. And I go there and I hit the fob. I've got my spare key. I hit the fob. I can hear my van inside. I didn't even turn the fob off. I was like, you know, I'm so justified in this thing. And so we're... We're, 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 we're at the local car penitentiary and I didn't even know how to get in. First of all, there's this, this big, no trespassing sign. And I called them, said, where are you getting? And they said, well, you got to go to the side of the prison. And at the side of the prison, there's an entrance for all the delinquents and you got to walk through there and you got to get there. So I go in there and all of a sudden I realize I'm in a line of shame. There are people in front of me at the impoundment. And I'm looking at them, I'm like, you guys probably deserve to be here. You know, when you get really, really self-righteous, you're like, all of you. And the guy in front of me turns around and he says, man, it just stinks to do this, right? I'm like, okay, we're not having a conversation right now, okay? You're probably guilty. And so I finally get to the front of the line and there are these steel poles in front of this window. You can't even see through the window. They put paper all around it. Apparently, probably violent people get their vehicles taken from them, and they're protecting themselves. And there's this little receiver on the window, and I have to lean in real close to find out, you know, communicate with them. And two hours and $329.17 later, I have my van back. The stormtrooper. I had taken pictures of all the signs outside the penitentiary with email addresses, phone numbers. I'm thinking, I'm going to call someone important and tell them about what happened. This is stupid. So we take the van. We drive it all the way back to the home. And at the home, I'm like, I need photographic evidence of what happened. And that's where you see this picture. Now, the problem, <laughs> you may have already caught this. The problem is when you zoom into this picture... It says reserved. My problem was that I had missed a very apparent sign. I thought the sign was going to show itself up somewhere else, but I just missed 
the sign and the quality of my decision that morning certainly affected the quality of that day as well as the next day. And so as, as we as we go into talking about decisions, I want to start by asking two questions that I think are really important. Why do we struggle with making good decisions? Why do we struggle with making good decisions? Why do I struggle with sometimes missing something so apparent as a reserved sign? Well, first of all, we're overwhelmed with our choices. Y'all, there are too many signs out there. Scientists have, have done research and they've come to the conclusion that we as Americans make upwards of 35,000 decisions every day. From the moment we wake up to the time we hit our head on the pillow, we are making so many decisions. Scientists have actually they've come with a term for this. They call it decision fatigue. It's the idea that after making many decisions, your ability to make more and more decisions over the course of a day becomes worse. That's why you can show up to work. You can design a bridge. You can treat a patient. You can diagnose a problem. You can do this complex stuff. And at the end of the day, you just want to crash on the couch. You want to eat the ramen noodles in your storage uh, room. And you just want to watch a, a stupid show. We are overwhelmed with our choices. The second reason we struggle with making good decisions is we're afraid of making the wrong choices. There's so many signs out there. What signs should I be following? And I believe as, as, as Christians, this becomes even a little, a little bit more layered because we want to make decisions that are in line with the will of God, right? So we can find ourselves asking and second guessing and saying, is this the right decision and overanalyzing for graduates? You've just graduated from high school. You're in the transition to college. The question is, what is the perfect college to go to in line with what I want to pursue and what line with what I do? What is the perfect college to go to? Or what is the perfect job? I'm not sure if my job right now is the perfect job. So what is my decision I should be making? Or I'm not sure this is the perfect person to date. They check 25 out of the 26 boxes, but, you know, we end up overanalyzing, and by our indecision, we're actually coming to a decision. We struggle with our decisions because we're overwhelmed with choices. We're, make, we're afraid of making the wrong choice, and we also let emotions overrule logic, or we just ignore the signs that are in front of us. You know what I've noticed about this? It is so much easier to speak into somebody else's life and see the things that they could course correct than to look and analyze myself. Because I'm not in their emotional bubble. Trevor's got a big enough emotional bubble of in and of itself. And so I, I can look at that. And that's why you can see a friend or a family member or somebody else maybe enters into a relationship with somebody. And you can see that their quality of life is deteriorating. They're making bad choices. And you can see that road sign and speak into that, but they can't see it themselves. So we struggle with making a decision. We're overwhelmed with choices. We're afraid. We let our emotions overrule our logic. Now, now the second question I want to answer, and this is a very, very important question, I think, for the context of this entire series, is where do good decisions come from anyway? You know, what's their origin story? We all love a good origin story. Where do good decisions come from? And really, every decision backtracks itself to your worldview, 
your worldview, the way you look at life, the way you view God or or the way you don't view God, the way the way you view creation, the way you view the word, the way you view religion, that's your worldview. It's also uh, synonymous with your belief. What do you believe about things or your faith? It's the lens through which you look at life. So whether you're viewing life through a blue lens, a green lens or a clear lens, the way you look at life ultimately determines what you value. Your worldview determines what you value. So if, uh, you know, if I look at the, 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 the life through the lens of the Bible, what does that say about marriage? What does that say about sex? What does that say about hard work? What does that say about eternity? And the way I view my worldview determines my values. And my values ultimately inform my decisions. It backtracks itself to your worldview. As Christians, we can, we can even go a little bit deeper on this. We can say that a healthy, if I truly believe that God is a good father, right? If I truly believe that he pours blessings out on us, if I truly believe that he will keep his blessings, if I truly believe his word, if I truly believe that God is a good father, ultimately my belief about God is going to inform the decisions that I make. Jesus says in John 15, he says that I am the vine. My father is the vine dresser. If you abide in me and I in you, you will bear fruit. And that fruit is born through a healthy relationship with Jesus. And and the disciples ask Jesus, well, tell us about the father. We need to know more about the father. He says, if you know me, you know my father. And so as believers, if we believe in a good, good father. And we abide in Jesus and we cling to him. We hold on to him. He bears fruit through us, right? And that fruit is affecting our decisions. So, so important. So the object of my faith affects the quality of my decisions, which ultimately affects the quality of my life. So, long introduction. If my good, good, if my good decisions are a reflection of a good father, then one of the best ways to live a forward looking, God glorifying, people loving life is deciding before what I'm going to do later. That was a mouthful. Let me say that again. One of the best ways to live a forward looking, my decisions are so important, the quality of the decisions are so important, one of the best ways to live a forward looking, God glorifying, people loving life is to decide before what I do later. That's why this series is called pre-decide. You're deciding ahead of time what you're going to be doing later. So that in the moment of temptation, that in the trial of life, that in the in our finances, that in our worry, we already have determined what the course of action is going to be. So some examples of that would be like spending. If you're prone to overspend, 
then I'm deciding beforehand, next time I go to Amazon.com, and I see something new, and I want it, I've already made the decision that I'm going to sleep on that thought. I've decided beforehand the course that I'm going to take. If you struggle with worry, and you're anxious, it could be deciding beforehand, before that anxiety, before that worry comes up, when that comes up, I've already decided that I'm going to take this to the Lord in prayer. I've made that decision beforehand, so when I get stuck in the emotion of the moment, I've decided beforehand, I've pre-decided what direction I'm going to be taking. When you hit the roundabout at Randall Mill Road, and you have the blind dog that's never seen a roundabout in his whole life in front of you, you know, here's the typical, you know, instead of, instead of cursing this person, you say, may my God bless you. <laughs> You're making the decision beforehand what you will do in the moment. So we are praying that our, with, with our summer goal is that with God's help as followers of Christ is to ask God to help us make some pre-decisions to decide ahead of time what we are going to do in the future so that we can honor God with the decision we make. Since the quality of our decisions affects the quality of our lives, we, pre- we pre-decide what we will do in the moment. Now, we see time and time again in Scripture what this looks like. And we see several different character examples as we walk through the Word of God. The first one I want to highlight this morning is from Abraham. So we're familiar with the story of Abraham, potentially. But Abraham was called by God, and he was blessed by God. And way back to Genesis chapter 12... God gives him this blessing that in you, you will have all these descendants, and in you, the nations of the world will be blessed. It's really this this massive step back in the timeline where, where God's already building the redemption story that, that Jesus is going to come forward way over here in the timeline, and he's making this promise to Abraham, saying, in you, all the nations of the world will be blessed. And there was a time in Abraham's life that he struggled with faithfulness. Don't we all struggle with faithfulness? He, there was this time he was struggling with his, faith, with his faithfulness, and eventually God went through on his promise and delivered to him and his wife Sarah this son Isaac, and he told Abraham, through this boy, I'm going to fulfill your promises. And there was a moment that happened where Abraham decided beforehand that God would continue to be faithful to his promises. We get to Genesis chapter 22, and God shows himself through this incredible test to Abraham. And he says, Abraham, I want you to take the son of promise, the son that I just gave you, the son that I told you all the nations of the world are going to be blessed. I want you to take that son, and I want you to travel three days, and I want you to bring him up as a sacrifice. And the word of God says that Abraham arose early the next morning, to go on this journey, and they're going into this journey, they're going into this journey, and his son Isaac says, Dad, where's the sacrifice? Where's the ram? Where's the sheep? And Abraham demonstrates his faith, his belief in the faithfulness of God. In verse, in verse 8 of chapter 22, he said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. 
So they both went forward together and God brought the ram. He brought the lamb. It even says in Hebrews chapter 11, I believe, when they're reflecting on the faith of Abraham and it says that Abraham believed God so much that he believed that God was even able to raise his son from the dead. That if this was actually the will of God, God would still come forward and be faithful to his promises. He had decided before the moment of trial, before the hardship of that moment, that God was faithful. He had pre-decided. We see this also in the life of a character, Daniel. So you jump, jump forward. In, uh, actually, you know, I'm at Ruth, sorry. So, also decided in the life, uh, Ruth was a character who also decided to live her life like this. Ruth had married, she was a Moabite woman, she had married into Israel. And in that marriage, she, her, her mother-in-law, her name was Naomi. Naomi had two sons, and in this moment of tragedy, both of her sons die. And Ruth's husband has passed away. And Naomi says to her daughter-in-laws, go away, go back to your land, go back to your gods. God has cursed me. This is not good. This is no longer worth following. And Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God my God. Verse 18. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said, no more. When she saw that she was determined to go with her. What Ruth had decided beforehand before that moment of tragedy, that trial struck her, she had made the pre-decision that she would continue being with Naomi, that she would continue to follow her God. We see this also in the life of Daniel. Daniel was a character, you move forward in the Old Testament picture, this is when um, Israelites had been, captive, uh, been held captive. He was now in a new nation. He knew the law. He knew what God had ordained beforehand. He knew what he was supposed to do. And he's in this position where he's serving in the king's court. And in the king's court, he is supposed to be eating the meat. He is supposed to be drinking the wine. Now, the problem with that is that the meat and the wine had been sacrificed to idols. And Daniel knew where this was going, and he knew what God had called him to. And it says in eight, but Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Daniel did not wait until the dining room to make that decision. He had decided back here in this, in this moment in life that he would not compromise on the values that God had instilled in his heart. He had pre-decided, and that decision beforehand altered the course of action here. All of these are examples of characters that decided ahead of time what they were going to do in the future so that they would honor God with their decisions. So as we go through this series, our prayer 
is that we will make healthy pre-decisions that we'll be able to analyze what God's values are, what our values are, and decide beforehand that in this moment, and there's going to be moments in this trial, in this temptation, that I so commonly face. I've already made the decision here how I'm going to respond. That's the power of predecision. Now, I want to make a, a transition here as we, as we, we come to, to the close here. Here's the deal. Here's the honest truth. We all struggle with our decisions. We all want good things for ourselves, for our families, for uh, the people around us. Thank God that we're not saved by the quality of our decisions. We're saved by the grace of God. It's not our decisions that are going to bring us into the presence of God when we die. It's the, the, the free grace of God that he bestows on us. Because there was a time where Jesus was in the garden of Gethsemane and he was praying to God. And he says this in Luke chapter 22, verse 42. He knelt down and he prayed saying, Father, if you are willing Remove this cup from me because Jesus could see what was coming next. He could see the cross. He could see the suffering. He could see the shame. He could see the pain. He said, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. But how does the verse end? Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Because Jesus made a decision before the moment of crucifixion, that he would pay the ultimate sacrifice for us. That he would himself, being the perfect son of God, be sacrificed on the cross, so that, as his word says, truly, truly, whoever believes in me, talking about Jesus, he shall not perish but have everlasting life. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 says that, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, not of your decisions, not of the things that you're doing, but um, as, a, as, as a gift of God. We're not saved by our decisions. We're saved by the grace of God. So I've got a couple questions I want to end with this morning. The first question is just so important. Do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus? Because in the end, if you don't know Jesus... The decisions you make are still going to leave you empty. Decisions, the path that you pursue, it's not going to fill up that void in your heart. Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary, and I will give you rest. Do you know Jesus? If you don't know Jesus, we'd love for you to have a conversation with um, any of our staff members. Um, uh, here at, at the service. That's, that's really the, the pinnacle point. Do you know Jesus? If we're going to talk about making healthy pre-decisions this summer, we want to be in a healthy place with God. So do you know Jesus? The second question I want to ask is if my faith influences my values, my values influence my decisions, do the people around me see a reflection of a good father? through the choices and decisions I make. 
if my my faith determines my values, my values determine my decisions. And as Christians, we can personalize that and say, uh, my decisions are a reflection of a good father. Are people seeing that? Are people seeing that? And the final question I want to ask is this. If your life is moving in the direction of your decisions, do you like the direction that your decisions are taking you? The quality of my decisions informs the quality of my life. Do I like the direction that my decisions are taking me? And if I don't, then it's time to predecide. It's time to change course. It's time to go to God and with God's help, make healthy decisions so that we can experience the joy and abundant life that God has to offer. So our prayer this summer is that we can make some healthy pre-decisions so that we can move to a healthy place. We're going to have a number of different, this is really a summer series, we're going to have a number of different speakers talking about a number of different values, hitting a, a number of different areas, and we are praying that this, uh, this series will be a blessing to you and uh, will be something that we can implement into our lives. So let's, uh, I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up. We're going to sing one more song. And I invite you to stand with me as we we pray together uh, this morning. Father, we we thank you that we are not saved by our good decisions, Lord. We are not saved by the works that we do. We are saved by the sacrifice of your son, Jesus, who pre-decided that in the trials to come, he would give himself up for us and for the world. Lord, I pray that if there is anyone here this morning that does not know Jesus, that does not have a relationship with him, that has not experienced the life that you have to offer, I pray that you will soften their heart um, through the series. I pray that you will bring them to saving faith. Lord, I pray for the other speakers through the series that as they prepare um, their pre- prepare their messages, that you would speak through them, that you would teach us healthy decisions to be making, pre-decisions to be making in our lives, so that in the trials, in the temptations, in the emotions, in the worry, that we will make the decisions beforehand what the course of action will be. God, we do this all for your glory for your name, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.